interviewing him about you know, becoming a director, but a lot of it was he just was like, well, I just, I just said I'm the director. <laughs> you know, like, how'd yeah. you become a director? He's like, yeah. well, I had an idea for a film and I showed up on set and I said, all right, I'm the director and he's, this is what everybody else Act is doing. If, and yeah. um, nobody appointed him director. It was just, you know, and I think that there's a lot of that in like leadership. Yvonne and I were talking about this this week. Um, I was watching, rewatching Band of Brothers, which have you ever seen that? It's is fantastic. That the, well, I mean, there's the, is there the movie and there's the show? No, I think it was um, Saving Private Ryan was the movie. Ah, okay. And then after that, Tom Hanks made the, series, the miniseries. Which has the dude from Office Space. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was trying to think who you're talking about. Yeah. And it has an amazing cast. I've never cast. watched it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, just watching that. And like when I was in high school, I was in, I went to military camp for a summer. And I really enjoyed it, actually. And I did really well there. Like, um, I remember sitting around when we first got there they had different roles you had to, to do or whatever and it was like well who wants to be the platoon leader and like no one's i'm like i guess i will you know yeah just because i kind of figure i'm always you know as a, as a band leader too i'm always yeah. if i'm going to do something i think i just naturally i want to lead i don't yeah. i don't know why it's not like i want to tell people what to do it's more like um well if i'm going to do it i might as well like all in you know yeah. let me you know at least uh i don't want to I guess if I didn't want to do it, I just wouldn't do it, <laughs> you know, like hundred percent out yeah. versus if I'm going to do it, well, I guess I'll lead it that way. At least mm -hmm. if it's going in a direction, I have some sort of say in the matter mm -hmm. or you know, influence in that. But then I was saying, uh, if asthma, so like all the different recruiting offices were out there like all week and like working with us. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Then I talked to the recruiter and they're like, you have any medical things? I'm like, Oh, just asthma. And they're like, Oh, no, <laughs> you can't. And I was like, can I even just fake it? And he's like, yeah. well, they're going to put you in a bunker and they're going to tear gas you. So if you have an asthma attack, they're going to find They'll out catch that, and yeah. you'll probably die. And huh. I just, no, no military. But I think I would have done well in the military. Not saying like watching Band of Brothers. I'm not saying I would ever want to go to war. Like, I don't think that, like, that's awful. Right, I, yeah. I definitely would not like that. But <laughs> um what I would like is I think that I always just, maybe you have a perspective being somebody that worked with me for a long time, but even like in high school, I was just, I never gotten like, I never gotten fights. I never got beat. Like I was just more of a political minded yeah. person. Yeah. And so I was always kind of the person that could maneuver socially wherever I went. Yeah. Um, and I think that my life would have been, a really totally different trajectory, obviously musician, you know, military, but I wonder like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe it would have been more disciplined at a younger age. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What, what would my life have looked like if it was, if I Dante right out of high school enlisted, went to the Marines or something. Yeah. Marines specifically, we're talking like right around Oh one. So more oh, on yeah. terror starts. It would have been, I would have gone That's to, like, uh, definitely been deployed. A buddy of mine joined the Navy shortly before 9-11. So we hadn't, you know, the 90s, we didn't really have a whole lot of skirmishes to speak well, of. Desert Storm. Well, but that was pretty small. And, you know, as as far as the American public's concerned, is like, well, we just went over there, kicked some butt, took some names, you know, yeah. flood, flugged the flag around. That was that. Um, so later in the 90s, when you say, I'm going to join the Navy, it's like, 
oh, you're going to ride around on a boat. They'll pay for your college and you'll be an accountant one day or something. Mm -hmm. you know? And then 9-11 happened. It was one of those like, oh, yeah. You might have to go do some stuff, man. Yeah. Um, him being the role he was and being in the Navy, he ended up not having any kind of like battle stuff. But when you mentioned like going into the Marines, um, some of the guys you listen to like on the Jocko podcast, yeah, they'll, they'll say, oh man, I thought I'd missed Desert Storm. I thought that was my window. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like five, 10 years later, I was over there all the time. Meaning, like that they, they were really looking forward to it. Yeah, the guys, the guys that Jocko tends to have on are like either special forces guys or just you know infantry higher level, whether it be army, marines, or uh, you know special forces like navy. But um, it's pretty common for those guys, particularly the guys that are like our age, mm -hmm. to say I got in the military and figured I'd missed the window. And then 9-11 happened and I got to see a lot of windows. Plenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's terrible. You know, I don't know. Well, the way it's... they, these particular guys talk about it in a positive light, you know, they wanted to get, to be a part of it, you know, but I, I thought that like, well, yeah, I would have enjoyed like, yeah, I do pretty well at making my bed and following rules. And I think that know. when you're younger too, I would have felt differently at that age too, like being 39, having young sons myself mm -hmm. uh you grow up playing gi joe yeah. watching movies. like yeah. yeah you think but i i i don't know i i think uh the wars we gotta stop the wars <laughs> just, it sure seems like and and even in hindsight well back then you know yeah uh weapons of mass destruction is what we were told and it was yeah you know i remember you know when that was going down early 2000s it was um go get them you know mm -hmm. and then it's to me, it's shocking now that there's no accountability whatsoever for any of it. That you just say, "Well, oh, whoops." The only thing that makes me feel slightly better is we've been doing this for a long time, and what I mean by that is like the accountability has been pretty limited, and we've gone into a lot of conflicts with way too much hubris, <laughs> and thought, and it seems like the story is the same over and over again. Like right now, you know, I tell Joe, listen to that Vietnam book. Uh, now I'm listening to the Korean War book, mm -hmm. and it's like just the story as old as time. Uh, the American people get told, "Hey, communism, guys, it's spreading like wildfire, and if we don't get over there and snuff this out, and believe us, we'll snuff it out in no time." <laughs> so the American people are like, "Yeah, get over there, get those commies taken care of," and we get over there, and sh believe it or not, these insurgents have pretty strong ideology they don't want to be fooled around with and it turns out to be a bigger pickle than we thought it would be and the guys who sold us this bill of goods kind of shrugged their shoulders did you ever listen to that old eisenhower speech when he's leaving office about the military industrial i know complex? about it i've never actually listened to it give it a listen yeah uh, world i was about to say america <laughs> world uh yeah i think it's um it's been referenced a lot but i think you know, a lot of people have said it's the most, you know, important speech given in the 20th century because it was uh, him predicting the rise of all these wars and just mm -hmm. the continually, I mean, my gosh, I, I don't know. We, we have lots of podcasts to do about it because there's a lot of conspiracies uh -huh. wrapped up in um, I, I, virtually every American conflict that we've ever been involved yeah, in, right. you could go back all the way to the Civil War and the conspiracy to kill Lincoln, and you I know, know <laughs> which is that's yeah. that's not one I'd ever even heard of at all. 
uh, except for when we were, uh, what was that? The wagon, the moon doggy. Yeah. Uh, McGowan makes a reference to it and I'm like, Lincoln, what is this? Yeah. So yeah, I haven't looked into that at all. Well, that's an open conspiracy. I mean, this, they were conspiring to kill okay. Lincoln, you know? Um, the thing with these wars and the conspiracy theories wrapped around them is it's such a touchy subject because of like guys like we're talking about that sign up to be in the infantry, to protect freedom, spread democracy, all of the altruistic legitimate reasons you should want to get in the military um a lot of those guys tend to get real prickly when you bring these mm -hmm. bring these things up i think they view it as an attack on them which is not i don't i don't it's not your intention you know what i mean yeah and i think too um there's a lot i mean i get it there's a lot of effort from the military to like you can't people have jobs to do you know yeah. what i mean uh, -huh. uh so you know, you have, you have, a, you have a job to do in that kind of, um, dissenting opinion can like cause, yeah. you think about like mutiny, you know what sure. I mean? Like that kind of thing, like where I get it. Like if it's my job to be the Marine, mm -hmm. um, it's not my job to question, right. you know, why an order has been given down and also, um, to be very, you're just going to naturally be very, um, careful about any, you know, accusations of, you know, cr conspiracies or any questioning because uh, how quickly would that unravel yeah, sure. your job and what you're supposed to do? And I think you, the only answer is to have, well, the answer is to have the, you know, the press, which is quickly disappearing, you know, mm. but that's traditionally what it's been is like, yeah, you, you know, you have... Uh, the military's doing their thing and we have enemies around the world and we're fighting in our conflicts and we have some sort of independent press that kind of keeps eyes on it. And, you know, that's just non-existent now. So, yeah. um, it's, it's, um, I mean, even with the Ukraine war right now and, and just, you know, finding, you can find dissenting opinions, but as far as the mainstream media is concerned, no, there's talking points and it's, this is the way it's supposed to be. And that's, that's pretty much it. So where is, where's the balance? I, you know, I think that maybe independent, independent internet journalists are that balance. It's just, they don't have the, um, influence that, you know, mainstream media has mm -hmm. and how, but it's quickly growing. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people that most of the news that I get, I get from alternative news sources. I yeah. don't know about you, but I, I get it from, I, I, I don't even listen to Fox or CNN. Yeah. I mean, it's just, dumb <laughs> i mean I, I did listen to fox when tucker was on but i wouldn't listen to fox i would like actually just look at clips you know what i mean like like sure. i'd listen to things yeah. i thought was interesting but if i didn't you know if it wasn't that i wouldn't listen to it yeah i suppose their reach will deteriorate as the our parents generation dwindles because when you like you just said i i listened to alternative news sources which to anybody that is a Fox or a CNN viewer, they're like, Oh, alternative. How trustworthy is that? You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> um, whereas like traditional media, this Scientology research that we were doing, I watched an interview with Ted Koppel mm. and I was like, man, Ted Koppel is so cool. <laughs> and it's just partly the contrast of you don't see newscasters like that anymore. Like he's a pretty, he, he gives Miscavige a fair shot to rebut a lot of these comments, but he asks some really, Koppel asks some really well thought out questions. Um, whereas, you know, 
cut to present day, you watch a snippet of Fox or CNN and, you know, no matter the side you're on, you can see pretty clearly that like, we're going to do a hit piece on whoever this guest is. Mm -hmm. We're going to fire a bunch of questions at them, not give them much time to answer. And then we're going to go to break, you know? Um, well, if you listen to this podcast and you understand Operation Mockingbird, (laughs) then you understand that that's all been in place for a very long time. And, um, the idea of there being an independent or some sort of, uh, truly objective news source in America. I don't think that's existed since before the Vietnam War, my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I would say it goes, I think after World War II, probably a lot of things started getting put in place and maybe even rightly so. If it's like, dude, the world almost ended. We kind of need to stop that from ever happening again. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it started out with good intentions, but, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see where we are now where people make fun of me sometimes, but it's like it kind of doesn't matter what we're talking about. I can go, do you know the CIA actually did this, this? You know, yeah. I can always trace it back to and I almost find myself going like, I know I tell you like I know it's all going back, but if you understand if you understand Operation Mockingbird, you understand that Anderson Cooper is CIA and he always has been. <laughs> and everything that he's saying is a mouthpiece of the CIA. Yeah. Um so anyway, before we get too down in, into this, we're going to talk about Scientology. Welcome yeah. to the podcast, everybody. Um, we've been having a great uh, response, great time doing these. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, sh- subscribe, share, do all the stuff to uh, get us out there or just listen and enjoy it or, uh, you know, criticize us, uh, do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. Um, we, po- we did a podcast a while back on, well, we did like five on the moon landing and so I know you had some pictures, oh, yeah. which were really, I want to see them, okay. but it's really interesting you would bring it because somebody had the nerve to give me this. What is this? <laughs> it's a very nice gift. It's a uh, Omega Speedmaster watch, but it's not just, it's moon, the moon swatch. So it's a, it's a collaboration between Omega and Swatch, and they made replicas of the watches that we supposedly used on the moon landing and uh yeah it's a really cool watch with um on the back it's got they made a whole series for the different planets but it's got the uh a map of the uh map of the moon on the back i don't know if you can see that or not that is awesome yeah are you comfortable saying who got that for you my buddy Ryan, he well, he didn't buy it for me actually. He's okay. a good guy, but he had one, and I think it something was broken. It's still, and he sent it back, and they both repaired it and sent him a new one. So then he was like, "Oh, I have two. You want one?" That's, yeah, that's a cool. I mean, it's even cool even story, though we faked it, it's still. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. It makes for a hell of a watch, though. No, it is a. I mean, I I think I've always wanted an Omega, but the uh, the idea that it was it's made out of. Because the temperature of the moon sure. is so extreme, That's right. <laughs> it's made out of a special material that would have been different yeah. than the metal and different than the, uh, it's, it's actually a cheaper watch, but it's because it's oh, really? uh, meant to survive. It's like a the, durability watch. Yeah, not yeah, a, yeah. It's not a fashion watch. It's if a, you were going to a formal event on the moon, that's yes, not necessarily the watch not, that you would be wearing. So what did you, but you, you Man, happen to bring that, lunar stuff as well. Maybe a picture of that watch is... And these photos that I brought. Let me see if I got it. So these are... Oh my uh, gosh, where'd you find these? My wife brought me these from her school. Uh, one of her teacher friends was going to get rid of them. These are 
let's see. Yeah, the U.S. Yeah. government, NASA issued these. There is no photos. no blast crater oh, under that goodness. guy. Um, um, so I think this was late seventies that NASA just gave out a lot of these pictures to public ed education. Oh, I bet they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think my favorite. I mean. I thought you might want to pick one or two to put up on the wall. Probably the one on top of the no blast crater is like, I didn't. That That is, that's the best. It one. wasn't so much the no blast crater that stood out to me. My wife, like your wife, I imagine, and a lot of our friends' wives are not conspiracy this? theorists. And, uh, you know, you just start digging the, you know, a little bit out from under them and they start to fall down the rabbit hole. And she gives me this stack of photos and she's like, you know, you're right. This is way too clear of a photo for someone to take with gloves on. <laughs> um, so that's the one, like that one where he's climbing out of the ladder. Yeah, not only there's no blast crater, but it's just, wow, this is a really well-composed photograph. I'm looking at all the, uh, what are the, the cross? Oh, my God, I found one right here. So that'd be one that they were talking about. You'll notice in these cross marks... That one goes behind the lunar. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a composite. Like a, yeah, right. So the, the modules composite over the hash Kind of seems marks. like it. I could be wrong, but that, that does look shady. I just like this one here. He's not supposed to be in space, is he? <laughs> no, he's. I just like the picture of the guy. Who is that? <laughs> uh, this is... Uh, Let's see. Does it say who the model is? It's mostly the focus of this image is it's a manned maneuvering unit. Um, it's a one-man self-contained gas-propelled backpack. Snaps onto the space suit's portable life support system. So this is mostly just to highlight the tech of the era. Um, kind of like if you were like shopping in Sears catalog for your space suit, this seems like the picture that <laughs> would be in always it. always wanted one. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the watch on. That I can tell. Of course, his sleeves over his wrist, but yeah, I don't know if they wore this exact watch or not. But oh, and this one they did do one for each. Um, it might have been under his suit too. Did you know there was a? I mean, your last name is Schmitz, but did you know there was a astronaut uh, Schmidt? Yeah, yeah, here he is. Which one is it? Uh, Harrison Schmidt. Harrison. Schmitt. He's the one that I told Jack you about Schmitt. the the. Uh, Oh, that's Jack, not Harrison? Well, I mean, it's his nickname is Nat. Oh, Jack. yes, he's the one that Same Norm MacDonald was joking about. Oh, that's the... That he said, you know Harrison Schmidt. <laughs> what does the guy got to do? And he said, uh, <laughs> he walked on the moon, and you don't even know his name. <laughs> Nobody... What does a guy got to do to be famous? I, I, there's very few people that go, where's the moon? You know, right you, there. You got that uh, Remember Tusco shirt? I think another campaign you got to go on is... That's the, a good idea. <laughs> never forget. Never forget. Jack Schmidt. Jack, or Jack Schmidt. Sh is it Jack Schmidt? Right. Harrison Jack Schmidt. The final astronaut. Lunar astronaut. Yeah, I can't believe that they... They don't even care. No one remembers. Well... How that, quickly the interest of the American people faded. We got on to uh, MTV and cell phones and... Now we're on to TikTok. So uh, tonight or this morning, wherever you are, uh, we're going to talk about Scientology. Now, preface this with I'm not an expert in Scientology. Uh, I'm just a guy on the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> so I could definitely say things. Well, I say things every day that are stupid and wrong. I don't care. Um, 
but I could say things about Scientology that are stupid and wrong, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre, once you get into it, it's a bizarre cult. I mean, I feel like they don't like being called they're like, a cult. but I feel like they're pretty, it's pretty mainstream that every people understand it's a cult now, right? Since, uh, Leah Rimini and yeah, going clear. Yeah. And there's been a handful of pretty big documentaries of people who have left Scientology, spilled the beans. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, they say about like what makes it a cult, what's the difference between a religion and a cult? One of the hallmarks is you can't leave. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if I invited you to church and you came to the Catholic church yeah. and you became a Catholic and you were there and then all of a sudden you said, I, I'm not into this, I'm going to go be a Buddhist. I'm not going to do anything to stop you. Yeah. And nobody in the church is. So that's yeah. a big difference then in Scientology. If you left, I mean, an entire team, I mean, it'd be a very strong effort to almost blackmail you, do whatever they need to do to keep you involved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, good soldiers, kind of like you were talking about, you know, with uh, actual soldiers and not dealing with, you know, conspiracy theories in the military. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the stories I heard listening to uh, former Scientologists, it's, it's exactly that. The, the church puts a lot of effort into keeping, you know, counter information away from people and members of the church. Mm -hmm. So like probably deep, deep into this conversation, we'll get into Dave Miscavige's, Miscavige's dad. Um, he was bought in. He's actually the one that brought his son into Scientology. Mm -hmm. Um, but his exit path was he accidentally stumbled onto a website that was like a kind of a debunking of Scientology website. And he goes, they would have never let me on that website. They just, the, the agents in Scientology didn't know that that security setting had to be tripped on the piece of equipment I was using. Wow. So it's a concerted effort on the part of the Scientologists, um, to defend, like when you talk about now, it's kind of widely known as a cult. That's some of the commentary I've heard from Leah Rimini and a couple of others that, now that the internet is getting more and more prevalent, uh, what they call a public Scientologist would be like a, like a hobbyist, right? Mm. Um, that's kind of a level one. You're going to the church every weekend and you're practicing Scientology. Um, but you still have a day job, right? And you still live in your own home and do your own thing. So you're still able to be exposed to the internet, which is, I think why, yeah, currently it's going to be more commonly known or thought of as a cult, right? So. Well, um, yes. Let's go back to the beginning. Yeah, though. sorry. The fun thing. <laughs> no, I, no. I, yeah. I, there's no easy way to get into this because no, there's, there's literally so much wacky. I mean, truly unbelievable stories wrapped up in Scientology, its origins and leadership. It's uh, all the way up to Tom Cruise being the best actor in human existence. Um, it's it's just not, we're going to do a two-part series on this because yeah. it's just too much to take in so we're going to do kind of uh, a look at who Elron hubbard was and where this kind of came from and then fun thing about it is we've already talked about jack parsons yeah good so, jumping off point um you could go i don't know do you know much about his life before he uh, became best buddies with jack parsons <laughs> uh he has you can go to lronhubbard.org uh, and they've got a pretty encompassing early years 
slideshow. Wait, wait, is this Scientology website? Or yeah, I, 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 I don't know if you would believe much in that. Well, no, but I do like to kind of like some of these other subjects we've looked into. I do like to get into like, well, as much as listen it's, to both sides. it's yeah. fun to listen to the podcasts that poke fun at them, but I also want to go and look and see, do they really say that? Yeah. Um, and yeah, L. Ron Hubbard's slideshow, uh, he was born... When I only said that because I know that he fabricated a yeah. lot of his military oh, yeah. career right. and a lot there's there's becomes a point where he obviously just makes up I'm an so glad entire you brought past. that up. <laughs> uh, but before that, yeah. the main thing to know about L. Ron Hubbard is that he was a prolific uh pulp fiction writer. Right. So he had, you know before he's in the military before he's um doing much of anything he's he's a writer science fiction writer and just pounding out these novels he yeah. was paid by the word so right. he's getting like a yeah. penny a word yeah. and he even uh, I, I heard he even was so uh good at writing or not good at pumping out books i don't right. think a lot of his books were very good he even had like this state of the art typewriter that had like already yeah, like, like quick finished strokes. words so he yeah, had like, like but to and yeah. and so like he could i think it's pretty, a lot of people have, you know, established that he had an amphetamine, uh, was uh, liked amphetamines like <laughs> many people do. Yeah. So he'd amp up on amphetamines and he would just knock out these Churn novels out, and pay the, yeah. pay the bills. And, yeah. um, that's how he started out as mm -hmm. in his life as, as a writer, but it's also, he continued to write his entire life. Um, some people think it was continued drug use, but also just, uh, maybe like a compulsive disorder kind of thing where it's like he just has to write whatever's yeah. going on. Kind of like we have to maybe play music or something. Yeah, I think there's truth to that. He's got an active mind. Um, gosh, his military career. Do you know anything about that before he starts Well, uh, just that he uh, he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, uh -huh. and he was in charge of a boat off of the coast of Oregon yeah. and engaged in weeks-long bombing campaign against a Japanese submarine that now we realize didn't even exist. No, he was bombing a fictional fictional submarine. My understanding was was yeah, like it was a known set of magnetic rocks. You know, like he calls it out on the radar, and the people that are scanning the radar with him are like, "No, those are just rocks. We already know about those." And he's yeah. like, "I'm gonna shoot them." Yeah. Uh, Another thing he did, so he got in trouble for that. And then he gets put in charge of another ship, and off the coast of Mexico, he oh, yeah, shoots he artillery into Mexico. Yeah, which we're lucky; it's like a friendly neighbor, and they didn't have any people on it. So I mean, they were kind of like you know they let that one go. But yeah, that was those are the two big points of his military career that he, you don't read that on Elronhubbard.org. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, I just thought that was funny that it went on for so long and he was adamant that he was bombing this Japanese submarine. I didn't realize it was that long. I think it was yeah. two weeks or something okay. like that. And it's like, and then even now, uh, well, not now, but after the fact, uh, both our military and the Japanese, like everybody went to go verify, was he actually <laughs> bombing a Japanese submarine? It's like, there well, was no Japanese submarine uh, anywhere to be seen. Yeah. It was just L. Ron Hubbard. You give a guy, some guys, you give them a cannon, they're just going to shoot it. Yeah. They're, they're, any excuse they have to shoot it, they're going to shoot it. If the only tool you have is a hammer. Yeah. Everything's a nail. Yeah. And uh, especially if you're on amphetamine salts, yeah. I think you just. <laughs> so. Um, you're right. So he comes back from, from the war. To bring us back to the yeah. starting point, at some point he ends up uh, answering a newspaper ad by Jack Parsons. Where yeah. he had to be 
a uh, what, what did Jack Parsons say? No. He, um, yeah, he was looking for gypsy type folks. No, but, but he, he had a way of phrasing it. He said, you know, uh, no, no one mundane, mundane yeah. no one mundane, and yeah. I think uh, it really piqued L. Ron Hubbard's interest. Yeah. And um, they ended up being uh, best friends, like really hitting it yeah. off, and um, had a had a great friendship, which is um, despite the fact that L. Ron Hubbard stole his girlfriend. Well, shortly after that, I think uh, Parsons realized that he was a grifter and that he was not, you know, he, he was conning him and they weren't friends, yeah, but... Because he stole uh, his boat. He stole a lot of his money. Yeah. So he had set up... Uh, there's a lot of things going on, but uh, Jack Parsons, if you remember, is friends with Aleister Crowley, who's the uh, Satanist out of England. And they've, they're have they working together to put together these satanic churches which just sounds insane, but it is what they were doing. Uh, one of them was the order of the Hermetic, the Hermetic order of the Golden Dawn, which was out of uh, England, which is an occult. Um, I don't know any why. There's no. It just sounds weird to say yeah. it, but they were trying to. Uh, I don't know. Bring usher in the Antichrist or something. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was really weird, bad stuff. And I don't think that L. Ron Hubbard was really into any of that. Right. I don't know exactly what the attraction to Parsons was, except maybe he thought he was an easy target for money and for I think, taking yeah, advantage of him. Makes sense. Um, but he ended up moving in, and eventually L. Ron Hubbard proposed this business model that he got Parsons, who was wealthy, to be an investor in and uh, dumped his entire fortune into it, I think. And it was this idea of, um, like much like I think at the same time you had businesses where if you bought a car, one part of the country, you could you could hire a driver to bring that car to you. Same thing if you bought a yacht somewhere in the world, you, this company would sail that yacht to you. And anyway, I don't know if you had you had something pulled up about it. Is that essentially that's what it was? That's a pretty good. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I could read what's on here, but that's a pretty good synopsis of it. It's uh, what was the company called? Uh, Allied Enterprises. Looks like Parsons put up twenty thousands of capital. Hubbard adding twelve hundred dollars, and uh, Northrop contributing nothing. So, again, you've got Parsons puts in twenty thousand dollars. Hubbard puts in just barely one thousand um, dollars, and then they go on to. Uh, I feel like that numbers. I've I've heard a much bigger number. I have too. This like is a half what's a million. in front of me. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Hubbard and Northrop left for Florida towards the end of April. Hubbard taking with him $10,000 drawn from the Allied Enterprises account to fund the purchase of the partnership's first yacht. Weeks passed without word from Hubbard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this, the story goes on. We probably went over some of this in the Parsons podcast. Yeah. But, he takes uh, yeah. Sarah Northrop, yeah. yeah. uh, Parsons' wife. Yeah. And uh, and all the money, uh -huh. and it took about you know a few weeks before Parsons kind of going. I don't think he's coming back with that. I haven't heard anything from either of them. <laughs> they were like holding hands when they left. Yeah, seems strange. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm into the sex cult stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I think maybe this, something's going on here. Yeah, and eventually that all blows up, and uh, we covered that in the other podcast. That's but right. Parsons uh, is threatening to prosecute Hubbard, but Hubbard. Um, uh, Hubbard's now girlfriend uh, threatens to have Parsons prosecuted for statutory right. rape. Yeah, of, and then Parsons yeah. just says whatever, uh, kind of throws his hands up at the whole thing. And, and Hubbard gives him like a couple thousand dollars back. I think that, yeah, in the end, Parsons 
was able to press some kind of charges or bring some kind of a suit. But you're right. Initially, it was, yeah, not so fast, buddy. We know that you were with an underage girl because I'm that underage girl a few years ago. Um, quick funny side note, Sarah Northrup's in this picture in this Wikipedia page with Hubbard on a yacht. Mm. So she's just hands around his waist and they're cruising on this ship, which I like to believe is the yacht that we're talking about. Um, and the note under the picture says it's Hubbard and Northrop aboard the schooner Blue Water, Blue Water 2 in Miami. So maybe that is it. Uh, the Church of Scientology has republished this photograph with Northrop airbrushed out, <laughs> which I've heard more than once that, uh, yeah, if you, according to Scientology, this Sarah Northrop was never involved with Hubbard. Yeah. There's Which, a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on with Scientology. He, he did a lot of stuff that he's real proud of, according to Scientology, um, that didn't happen. And then there are things like this that they'd rather you not know. So there is no Sarah Northrup in the Liam hmm. L. Ron Hubbard story as far as Scientology is concerned. Well, and so the, all of that kind of brings us up to speed um, with who Hubbard was. And then, you know, he has a falling out. I believe that... Um, I don't, we could look up when Parson blows his face off, but I think it's around 52, 53, something like that. It's about the time that uh, Hubbard, he's no longer friends with Parsons. There's probably about a yeah. seven, eight year window where they're not close. And then he is in the meantime, he starts working on Dianetics, right. which is a book that he published, I, I think 52 or 53, uh, some, somewhere in there. 1950, I believe. Oh, 50. Okay. Yeah. So let's see. He supposedly had another book. Yeah. That he was that th that he was working on before that, um, I don't know if you see it anywhere in there, but it was um, this was like a, a, a different an, an aversion of that, and he had rumored that anyone who had read that other book, the pre you know, predecessor to uh, Dianetics, would literally just jump out of a window and commit suicide. <laughs> Oh, say that again. <laughs> like, the, the, I think that was the rumor that he said, like, that only a few people had read it. Yeah. And that it was so yeah. shocking that they had immediately committed suicide. I heard that in somewhere in all the stuff I was listening to. Can you and find watching. what the name of that was? Yeah, I'll try. Pre um, Precursor to uh, Dianetics. Yeah. But it's, a, it's Dianetics was, you could probably read a better definition, but essentially it was one of the first. Um, it wasn't all baloney. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. psychiatry that agrees with a lot of what is in Dianetics because he pulls from a lot of famous psychiatric research of the time. Um, and I think it was like the first big uh, self-help book, essentially. Any luck? Excalibur. Was it that or was it a document called Affirmations? No, I think it was called okay. Excalibur. All right. I'm going to have to look it up. Cool. It just came to me. But I do remember this anecdote about, yeah, if you read it, you just jump out of a building. You jump out of you a window. It's too it. much for the human mind to take in to really understand the Thaden principles or whatever. That's right. Anyway, so do you want to read? Do you have a definition of Dianetics or uh, a breakdown well, of that? Let's see. Uh, oh, let's see. Cause and cure to which you... Dark sword, Excalibur, or science of the mind. Is that the one you're that's, talking yeah, about? That's right. It. That was in 49... Don't read it because you might just jump out of a window after you do. I'm not endorsing anyone reading that book. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so his first published articles in Dianetics were Terra Incognita, The Mind. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find you. You were looking for a 
kind of a yeah well you look i'll just kind of yeah. set the what i think from what i understand here the, we go the thing is it was it was just a huge book like it exploded yes the, probably the biggest book of its time yeah. and not for no good reason it was like i said it had a lot of really great psychiatric mm. research and ideas implemented in it yeah hubbard described dianetics as quote the hidden source of all psychosomatic ills and human human aberration uh, when he introduced psych, uh, when he introduced Dianetics to the world in the 1950s, he further claimed that the skills have been developed for their invariable cure. Uh, it was duly launched. Um, but yeah, to your point, it, yeah, 28 weeks, New York's Times bestseller list, huge success. And that's yeah. an interesting part of it too, is that at the time, Hubbard, so Scientology eventually becomes very uh, averse to yeah. psychiatry. Yeah. And um, all of that, but at that time it wasn't like right. he he actually read mm -hmm. a lot of psychiatric research and right. he um, used it. It was only when the psychiatrist started to point out yeah. that this is a Ponzi scheme to make money, yeah. and then all of a sudden he thinks psych psychiatric medicine is just you're baloney. right. Yeah, there are a lot of accounts early, like you know, before he gets on the scene in the fifties of him studying, even on that lronhubbard.org. There's mm -hmm. a, an account of like early in his life, him, you know, meeting a, somebody that was into psychoanalytics early on. Um, and you're right. It's a, it's only when the psychiatric boards and things like that start to deny him access to certain, you know, credibility uh, that, yeah, all of a sudden Scientology's position is like, well, you guys are the ones that taught the Nazis how to do bad <laughs> experiments and you're the ones that are shocking people's brains. And he was very good or Scientology and Hubbard. They were very good at, I think, using the zeitgeist and like, um, using the zeitgeist against their enemies. Totally. So, yeah. um, we'll get into more of it, but even, they, you know, when they're pushing back against federal agencies, they're doing it at a time and in a way that even though it has nothing to do with their cause, they know the public sentiment towards the FBI is not good. And yeah. they're very savvy about how they do it, mm -hmm. I think. Anyway, anything else on Dianetics or? Oh, that just that it was poorly received by the press and medical professions, it says. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it looks like maybe the press at the time was discerning enough to go, this is, this is kind of baloney, but the American psychological association criticized Hubbard's claims as not supported by empirical evidence, um, which is probably the beginning of Hubbard's animosity towards the psychological community. Um, but yeah, the general public seems like sold like crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, I think we were talking as you were, getting the equipment reset back up but like the idea that you've got some kind of the power is already within you to mm -hmm. improve your life you know um i think that's a relatively re revolutionary idea in the 50s um this idea of like self-improvement self-help yeah well there was, was no tony robbins there was nothing exactly. like that it was yeah, it was yeah. the first tony robbins it was the first yeah. uh self-help um which is not I mean, it's not bad. It's, it, right. There's a lot of a lot of people got. A, I mean, we got Tom Cruise out of it. Totally. So pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> um, Feel the need. We got John Travolta out of it. Uh, there's a lot of great. Jenna um, Elfman. Who? <laughs> Darman and Greg. Jenna oh Elfman. yeah. 
there's a long list if you're not aware if you're somebody who's never heard of Scientology Giovanni Ribisi a lot of Hollywood <laughs> actors uh, are Scientologists and Beck. a lot of yeah Beck he's not one anymore he says is he not no but when did he get out like 2019 he says okay so Juliet it took, Lewis it, it took Leah Rimini to get a lot of these people out yeah I think she did get a lot of people out so she was on if you don't know who she is actress on uh, King of Queens yeah. was her big TV show. And Saved by the Bell. And oh, I don't know she was on that. She was in like in the seasons where the crew went to go work at the uh, beach resort. That was mm -hmm. like later episodes. Uh, somehow she got introduced as a character in those seasons. And then I think that she was only supposed to be like a like a you know temporary character, but she's Leah Rimini. You know? She's amazing. She's undeniable talent. So beautiful, funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, if you don't know about her, check out, she had a TV series about it. She's given a lot of podcasts, but it's a hell of a story. She was on Joe Rogan. That's a yeah. good one. And she explains she grew up a Scientologist yeah. and she didn't start to like wake up to the idea that this was a cult until I think Tom Cruise's wedding. And she yeah, was invited right. to Tom yeah. Cruise's wedding and... um Scavage's wife wasn't there. Yeah, there was the, the leader's wife wasn't there. And then she also said she'd see people drinking and she's like, we're not supposed to be drinking or what's going on. And mm -hmm. then she'd try to narc on him because you're supposed to. Right. But then it was, well, it's Tom Cruise. So, you know, just shut up. And she was just, I think she's such a genuine, honest person that she just kind of went like, well, you can't, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah, she like, was fully bought in. And she then she bought was in, but she saw the BS. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then she quickly, I think, uh, I don't know how quickly it was, but I know she, she got out yeah. and now I think thankfully she's a big enough star. I'm sure they tried to, uh, you know, burn her reputation, destroy her career, but I think she was just so famous. It was hard to, and she's so talented. It's hard yeah. to like get, you know, that career off the rails, but they did with other people. They definitely did go to extreme lengths to, you know, even so much as like, if you did this podcast back in the early two thousands, they could, they would sue us. Yeah. You know, just for saying anything negative about them. Yeah. It's less that way now it seems, but you're right. Uh, they've got a lot of lawyers on retainer and a lot of like the comment that I heard today that I thought was pretty interesting was it's not that they've got a lot of like, like uh, high profile politicians on their list. You know, you don't see a lot of mm -hmm. politicians that go, I'm a Scientologist and I'm proud of it. Cause that's probably wasn't their thing. That's a misstep for a politician. Mm -hmm. Um, Scientology is pretty adept at hiring lawyers that who lawyers are not particularly interested in. I mean, like just because they work for a Scientology doesn't mean they are Scientologists for one. Um, but also they, uh, they put a lot of money into a lot of the, a lot of the organizations in Clear Lake, Florida, where their headquarters is headquarters are, what is that? Are. <laughs> um, so they're in tight with the mayor there and a lot of, you know, a lot of the organizations in that town. So it's like lobbyists and things like that, um, kind of behind the scenes. When I movement. think they also made a calculated move with the Hollywood thing to go, how do we sell this religion? Yeah. Well, the, the celebrity thing yeah. was like an obvious, like, well, yeah, you got to get celebrities involved. And so they specifically set up shop in Hollywood yeah. to, um, it became a pretty you know, uh, not even a secret, like just uh, people knew that, like, you know, being a Scientologist would 
open the doors for yeah, lots right. of gigs, lots of opportunities. They were in the business and they would look for their people opportunities mm -hmm. to further their career. I mean, Tom Cruise is the example of, you know, they, 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 they they've set his entire career up and they did it on purpose because, you know, he was a Scientologist, is a Scientologist and what better way to sell Scientology sure. than to have the world's most famous actor. And so, I mean, it was a, it was a, I'm sure they did lots to further his career. And at the same time, he did a lot, a lot to further the church. Right. So, yeah, there's a comment here in this Wikipedia that says uh, several famous individuals became involved with Dianetics, Aldous Huxley, Huxley receiving aud auditing from Hubbard. So hmm. even at the outset, that was Hubbard's game was like, and I, I even heard that comment that he was quoted as saying that early on, like a couple of things that he, he was quoted as saying were like, if you really want to make money, start a religion. Um, yeah. And the other comment was, and if you're going to start a religion, get somebody famous on board. Like, and that's how you really get some heat. I heard it. somebody say that there was a going bet between Jack Parsons, oh, Ron right? Hubbard, and Anton LaVey of who would start their their own religion. Okay. Like these guys were back in the 40s talking uh -huh. about this. And um, I think Anton LaVey was the first one to start his own Church of Satan, his own religion, yeah. but uh, the, who who was was saying it was that uh, L. Ron Hubbard was definitely a lot more business savvy about it because I think you only had to pay two dollars to join the Church of Satan yeah. and to become a Scientologist, you had to give them everything that you owned. Yeah, and then poor Jack blew his face off before he could start yeah, his he own religion. Really so, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, white sides. <laughs> he uh, anyway. So. Um, I forget where we're going with that. Just the that it was in the fifties. It was really well received by the public. Oh, just Dianetics. Um, yeah, yeah, this is before before Scientology yeah, right. existed yet. And so yeah, it, just, right. it explodes. He makes a, a absolute fortune off this book. Yeah. Um, apparently, he was a a great like a dynamic speaker. So he would hold mm -hmm. conferences and and was really well received as far as that goes as well. So you've got this really charismatic figurehead. Mm -hmm with the i mean he's creative right he's prolifically writing all this science science fiction so i think he has a pretty active mind probably on account of all the speed he was taking but um yeah things are going really well for for hubbard in the 50s um let's see yeah where do we get to where we so there's the collapse of dianetics um well where but did then... did you look up like i don't know if i even know the answer to this of exactly how did Scientology start right. versus Dianetics? Did it yeah. start as like he started, I think he started having like clinics and like um, groups session kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I know eventually uh, the real push was the IRS and the taxes. Yeah. And it was right. like Hubbard realized, I think he had a billion dollar back taxes you had like a billion dollars in back taxes. Yes, that's so, true. I that was I think somewhere around the eighties. Yes, he yeah. had accrued all these. He did not like paying, but he. Taxes. I think he had to fight for nonprofit. Correct. Yeah. from like the seventies to the nineties, it was a he, long, yeah, long it's case. Like, it's like he had it at early. They had the IRS had granted them nonprofit status at one point, but you're right, it was taken know, away. Like, Throughout, yeah, throughout the seventies, up through the eighties, up until ninety three is when they got reinstated as a nonprofit. So there well, was a long window of 
one of the things I don't know if you if you had that like the origins of it, but part of Dianetics was like a process of um, if you compared it to like to to the Catholic Church, like going to confession, it was like, but it was a big part of the their their process was auditing people and right. using this crude this device that was like a um it's not a lie detector but it's kind of like a lie detector like it would just monitor your pulse and your skin and you would go back through these sessions with an auditor who was somebody with Scientology who would you know ask you questions about your childhood and essentially if i if i get it right essentially the the idea behind Scientology is that um you've we've all experienced like past traumas both in this life and in other past lives mm -hmm. that cause us to not be our full potential or something like that and you have to kind of go back and uh deal with those yeah you got to clear your uh going clear is where that yeah. comes from yeah and don't they they're all called thetans right like yeah. we're all thetans That's yeah a thetan is yeah it's like a godlike creature and if <laughs> If you're ready to dive into the really weird Just stuff. Go with it. Yeah, I believe you get to level OT3. So as a, you know, if you and I walked into a Scientology church today, we start out level 0 or level 1. You got to progress. Um but they don't tell you about the god Zenus until level OT3. That's kind of like you've been in it for a while and like you said through through great expense of your own, you know, you put in all this money to get, take these courses and, and you paid for all these audits and things like that. You level up. And yeah. as you level up, they give you more information about right. the secrets of the yeah. universe and, and then, you go higher and higher yeah. and higher. Eventually they hip you to the story of this God named Zanus, which in a lot of the videos I watched where like a Scientologist got cornered. And when they get asked about Zanus, they get real touchy and like standoffish. They don't want to tell you about it. And I think that's because they know it is received as like a very kooky thing to say. Huh. Um, but apparently in an, in another universe, an alternate universe, uh, Zanus needed to dispel of all of these godlike creatures, which surprisingly they looked exactly like us in the 1950s and 60s. It was their world looked just like ours at the same time that, Hubbard was telling people this in the 1950s and 60s. Um, so he he rounds all these people up under the guise of some kind of a tax audit, um, brings them all in, and in and he uh, injects what is it glutamine? I forget. Yeah, something it that freezes, freezes their heart. all of these. Yeah, yeah, freezes them all up. He puts them down to the base of all these volcanoes. And then uh, shoots off hydrogen bombs to explode the volcanoes. Now all of these thetans are released out into the cosmos, into the cosmos, yeah. and they got no place to go. <laughs> so when you are born, they go, ah, there's a there's a meat sack we can jump on, <laughs> and that's what they do. Now, unfortunately for you, what that means is you're carrying around all their psychological baggage from that eons that they were, yeah yeah all the past lives of all these other things you're dragging that around with you so if you have some kind of weird like you know if you have negative self-talk that's probably because there's a thetan hanging on to you that you know thinks real badly of themselves and has made some decisions they're not so proud of um and this is what these audits and that e-meter that you were just mm -hmm. talking about that's what it's designed to help you suss out and so the way i've heard it explained more than once in all these different interviews 
is uh, if I'm auditing you, we're sitting across the table, you pick up the hand readers, they look like soup cans, and I ask you, uh, is there anything that you, I think that it's basically, it's very open-ended, it's kind of a, what what would he what comes like to mind? Like what's your earliest memory kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, and you that's go, oh, it. I remember being uh, yeah. in the woods or something. Right. Inevitably, it comes to some sort of trauma. Right. And you know, if you're a famous celebrity, they're writing all this down. So that <laughs> if you ever decide to leave, yeah. they have a, blo- a book that's saying so all these things that you really don't want people to know because they essentially that time did, you pooped your pants yeah. in first grade. You don't want yeah. anybody to know about that, yeah. do you? So uh, I guess that's what my point was, is as through this process, it's also a convenient way of documenting, documenting a lot of kooky, weird, embarrassing things on all of your people. Well, then they obviously just use that to keep, you know, Tom Cruise wants to leave. Well, you can't because, you know, we got this book with every dirty thing you ever did in your entire life. Yeah. Which is probably none because Tom Cruise is just better no, than the rest think, of us. But. Yeah. Well, I think we all know that to be true. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was in all of this research, that was possibly one of the hardest things to deal with was reconciling my love for Tom Cruise with yeah. all the accounts of Scientology and that he's so tightly involved with it. Um, it, it goes it set, it goes a long way. You know, people in this life, especially now, complain about inequity all the time and you know they look to all kinds of different um you know, race and class and gender whatever you want and you know nobody talks about beauty you know what i mean <laughs> and like how unfair it is to be uh not beautiful totally and yeah. uh do you think he would you know tom cruise is an example of he is um I think at this point it's pretty obvious he's done some pretty awful. He's been been a pretty bad guy as far as some relationships, uh, you know, using basically indentured servitude as like a lot of these people from the church just basically being his slaves all the time, um, and no one calls him out on it. He's never not once has anybody ever done a story saying you know why did you uh, do these awful things or you know why did you treat these people's. And, you know, maybe it's not true, but I think a lot of it is. He's just so damn beautiful and so, you know, nice to watch on a screen that you yeah. just give him a pass. He, that's inequity. Yeah. that's <laughs> We are not all created. If we, did, if we did any of those things, yeah. if, you know, nobody would give us a pass. He's just so darn likable. I yeah. mean, I've talked about it more than once, but beginning of uh, Maverick, the reboot for Top Gun. Mm-hmm. It's just Tom Cruise sitting in a director's chair looking at the camera telling you personally, Dante, I'm so glad that you're here to see this Top Gun movie. I am really excited about it, and I just want you to have the best time watching this movie. And just now as I described it, I got chills again thinking about (laughs) Tom Cruise telling me how excited he was that I was going to watch Maverick. And there's something about that guy's charisma, his warmth, and yeah, his beauty. Like He's just such an awesome dude. And he's just, uh, he's just all in all the time, you know, totally. maybe that's yeah. part of it too. Yeah. It's like, uh, he's a true believer and you just pick that up from him. People like that. People like, I you know. I really believe when he said it, like he was excited for me to see Top Gun, the Maverick, because he was so excited about how great it turned out. Like he was a fan of yeah. it. Not because he thought he was so great. Just like, and I don't, this exciting... I don't mean to pretend like I know anything. I don't know Tom Cruise. He could be amazing. I'm just basing on researching this church and uh-huh. listening to what people who 
have worked with him have said about him, you know, specifically from the Scientology side of things. I know that there's probably a lot of Hollywood people that have worked with him. Like, he strikes me as the kind of guy who's like, yeah, as long as you're not in his way, he's probably great. You know, probably nicest guy in the world, but it kind of sounds like if you cross him at all, it's, you know, you're in trouble. Well, did you watch the interview with him and Matt Lauer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one gets a little weird. There's another one with him on like a 60 minutes. It's a British guy interview. I forget the name of the guy that's doing the interview. Um, I think he's Australian. Was it Australian guy? Okay. It gets a little awkward, but what's funny is like, yeah, like the interviewer kind of writes the ship. It's like, whoa, Tom, I didn't mean to get <laughs> get sideways with you. Yeah. And then like you it the footage shows them wrapping the interview up and uh and Tom's like, That was great, man. Thanks. And the interviewer's like, it seemed like you got a little upset there for us for a minute. And Tom Cruise is like, We did, but it's great now. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. And you're like, Yeah, as long as you stay out of his way, you're in you're in good shape. Huh. Well, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a as beautiful as Tom Cruise. So I don't know what it's well, like to, to have a Hollywood career, but, are. um, that could be, we could do that on the back half. There's the, the we wanted to get through Hubbard, right. this podcast, and we'll get into more like maybe modern day, uh, Scientology on the next yeah. podcast. But, um, did you want to hear any kind of Scientology origin? Yeah. Like, did you find like the actual origins of when it started? This is, uh, this is from the Scientology website. So, uh, Founder R.L. Uh, L.R. Hubbard was a science fiction novelist said to have been intrigued by the film industry. At the time that he founded Scientology, he was writing in Hollywood, hoping to further his entertainment career. Uh, in '69, in 1969, the church opened its first celebrity center, a church that is open to the public but meant for artists, business leaders, athletes, and other notable persons who may be interested in participating in the church. Perhaps, so that's what I was thinking. It was it started yeah, as like a clinic, like exactly, a uh, yeah. like specifically directed at. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that was a, a cynical move by Hubbard to uh, get you know brand ambassadors kind of totally. thing that, that, that yeah. would represent it. But I think he also just loved the arts. Like he yeah. he had a lot of um, musicians. I think he was in a band and like oh, a, a musician. Right? I forget the name of it, but um, I think he wasn't a, a creative person himself, obviously, and. He liked to be around creative people and liked to take their money and do all kinds of wacky well, stuff I with Well, I think it. when you talk about brand ambassador, he really seemed to have this idea of, uh, I've heard some accounts of him being a, a hypnotist, um, but yeah, that he really- That would make sense. Yeah. He really seemed to have this idea of like holding up what people want. And here, when you talk about, hey, this is a group for business leaders, for artists, for creatives, like even if you vocationally are a shipping receiving manager, you may think of yourself as a creative or like a you're an aspiring entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. like all like when you talk about like the beginning of self-help or like, uh, you know, self-improvement, that sort of stuff. Yeah, this is like. Even if you're not vocationally an artist or an actor, you may think of yourself as like, well, I'd like to be. So mm-hmm. yeah, I want to get involved with this if that can... Carrot in the stick. Me. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, so he he seemed to know what people wanted. And he also seemed to know, like when you talk about his business savvy, um, I don't think he was great with money. Like he's not somebody he, you want... He blew his fortune. <laughs> that, the, the money he yeah. made off Dianetics, he's some... That's one of the things that's weird is people don't really know what he spent his money on too. 
like he had a fortune from the Dianetics uh-huh. and he didn't really buy real estate with it. He didn't really like, th- he just blew through it in like yeah. an insane way, like just buying. I mean, I'm sure the amphetamines played a role in that, but okay, yeah, just, you be, know, yeah. uh, spent a lot of money in a very short amount of time. Yeah. He's not someone I would want for a CPA, <clears throat> but he is a good CEO in terms of like coming yeah. up with culture and direction and, you know, vision for like what the forward facing part of, of your organization is going to be. Um, man. And he's savvy as far as like, do you know anything about how he left his third wife out to dry with this? Uh, I feel like I've heard it. I don't remember. Uh, let me see what it's Was, called. He, they, had, he had a wife originally in Oregon <laughs> and a daughter that he just yeah, abandoned. Yeah. And he moved, when he went to Pasadena with Jack Parsons then he marries, and then he met, married Sarah right, Northup. Yeah. And they whatever up, happened I with forget. her, she she just split at some point. I forget how that ended. Anyway, then yeah. who is the third? Oh, divorce from her. Yeah, sorry. So just I forgot that there was a window of time where yeah. Well, he was married. double married to the well, Oregon he, woman that's and right, Sarah because Sarah gets pregnant. No, wait, he's married to Sarah. Then uh, he starts up the Sea Org. And uh-huh. uh, I think that's about the time he impregnates this third woman who he becomes married to. But while he's married to Sarah, Jack Parsons' ex-girlfriend, uh, they get into a bunch of arguments um, and he takes their baby. Oh, yeah. I remember Cuba, this. And he's calling Sarah. Up. And he says that she's dead. Yeah. he's Yeah. He's saying the baby's dead. I've, I've thrown her in the river or whatever. And this is, of course, really upsetting to the mother. And then he would call back a few days later and be like, ah, that's not actually what happened. The baby's fine. And then he'd call back a few days Jeez. later and be like, no, but seriously, now the baby is dead. And like he kind of kept this just to keep her in this constant state of nut, you know, nuts. Then he uh, he kidnaps Sarah Northrup one night and drives her all around, I believe is all around L.A., uh, and he's taken her from hospital to hospital trying to get her admitted as a psychi- psychiatric patient. He's telling the oh doctors my gosh, I didn't she's know that. had a mental break. <laughs> the doctors keep just going like, she's uh, she seems fine to me. I mean, she's upset with you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but otherwise, she seems pretty together. Um, let's see. It's those damn amphetamines. Northrop filed for divorce on April 23rd, 1951, charging Hubbard with extreme cruelty. So probably in light of all this. Yeah, and I think I just remember reading about um, in order to have her drop all the like she was gone gone to the authorities about the daughter and everything to get the daughter back. She had to write a letter and it was like this insane letter where she was like. L. Ron Hubbard's the smartest person in the world and he's the kindest. And like it was just this obvious like crazy narcissist thing to do but um i don't know if it was so he would know okay now you're you know not going to come after me for kidnapping our kid and saying that i killed her you know uh you know you talk about things that are kind of like it's probably a cult if Mm -hmm. um a lot of accounts in scientology it's probably a cult if there's a blood trough in the floor i'm just saying (laughs) that's a good one uh another one that came to mind when you were talking earlier uh what was the you said they, uh, what was your first qualifier? Well, you, you can't leave. You can't leave. The yeah. other one. So the other one that came to mind when you said that was I, you're constantly in these 
stories of people that came out of Scientology is all these stories of disconnection, which is a real parallel to a lot of other cult stories where, yeah, you can't leave. And the next thing we're going to tell you is you can't have any contact with your family mm -hmm. or anybody else outside of this organization. Um, but uh, the other one is, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Uh, You're was, in a cult if... What was the last one I was going to? They take to? all your money. That's, yeah. If um, they have Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now I forgot where I was headed with that. That's, that's a bummer. Um, anyway, while Hubbard is married to Sarah Northrup, she's filing for divorce. Uh, Mary Sue becomes pregnant and marries LRH in 1952. Um, and this was to be his third and final wife. She was like kind of his ride or die as far as like mm. she was. Uh, Didn't she end up going to prison for him? Yeah. That yeah. is what I wanted to get into. Operation was, Snow White. Because I was kind of. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, this is where it's going to get yeah, interesting. Take it back up. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. We've established Scientology. Uh, we've given you a little bit of background on it. it. becomes a phenomenon. It's huge in Hollywood. And um, then it starts to have, uh, I don't know if it, when it lost its nonprofit status, at some point it does and starts to have trouble. There's, there's certain people that Hubbard doesn't like, psychiatrists being one of them, the other being the IRS. That's right. Um, yeah. He gets hit with this billion dollar yeah. back taxes thing. And... Um, like the military minded guy that he is, he they they start launching uh, their own operations to try to um, cover cover Scientology's butt and and make sure that they keep moving forward. And the first one was with this thing called Operation Snow White. Yeah. That's not a that's not a government or an agency. That was their operation that involved I think like thousand people, like people Scientologists legitimately infiltrating uh government agencies in the united states to specifically spy and and um do whatever they could to uh save the church of scientology yeah so it's like five five hundred or a thousand i can't remember the number but it's a lot it's like up to five thousand covert agents oh my gosh so yeah. it'd be people like they would go and just work for the irs while they're there they're also spying on the irs case about the Scientology, even so much so that I think even in the, um, when they're going to court with the IRS, like they had a spy on the inside at the IRS yeah. feeding them information yeah. about what was going to be yeah. happening in the, in the, in the case against them. Yeah. Uh, that Necronom podcast that I'm always talking about gives a pretty good recount of exactly that, the way that they get some secret, some Scientology agents go in and infiltrate the IRS. And yeah, like, by the time they're yeah in the middle of all these court proceedings, yeah, you've got moles just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it, all, agencies all throughout the government, and um, it's a, it's. I mean, they even have operations within that operation going on, like Operation Cat. Did you hear about that? No, but there's another one here, Operation Freakout. There's yeah. another one. The one that I that really caught my attention was uh, the one involving the uh, journalist. The but that's operation freakout um well that was the one with an author she had written a book yeah, that was critical yeah. of scientology she was a holocaust survivor that yeah. went on to get into research in scientology but i don't want to distract from what we're talking about as far as these because 
the this operation snow white what's so interesting about it is like by the time the fbi gets pulled into this i mean it becomes like the largest fbi case that yeah they've, <laughs> that they've had you know as far as like when they've been infiltrated so mm -hmm. i mean my goodness pretty ambitious scientology <laughs> yeah and um again they kind of played off of the zeitgeist and the sentiment of like people didn't like the fbi at that time and so it, it was smart to like i think the public you know you know you say oh they're they screwed the fbi on something and public go good you yeah know? yeah um so it's pretty pretty wild they had a they ended yeah. up settling some of them going to jail some of them well and specifically like you said the thing that struck me was they have what they call in Scientology the Guardian's Office, which is the ones that executed this Operation Snow White. Uh, Hubbard was wise enough not to put his name on the Guardian's Office. Instead, he's like, hey, hon, why don't you head up this Guardian's Office? <laughs> I got a job for you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and like, you know, around uh, late 70s, early 80s, when all this comes to light, uh, he's his wife is on the hook. Mm -hmm. for, and, of course, the government is not going to take it easy on somebody that just pulled the stunt like this right so she's the one that gets prosecuted for all this stuff um among a bunch of other scientologists i believe but it just like i was listening to this passively at work and then when they mentioned that that uh that margaret mary sue hubbard was indicted and and convicted i was like wait a minute his wife <laughs> he set her up like for all of this stuff um yeah, he did. Well, he did seem perfectly okay with, uh, like, any narcissist just using yeah, everyone around him to get yeah, whatever he wanted. Absolutely. And you were just a pawn in a game of L. Ron Hubbard's, uh, you know, life and fantasies. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, before we, I mean, it feels like we're... We're probably rapping because he dies in 86, I think. So yeah, he's... so a couple things to mentions particularly if we're going to be getting into Miscavige for mm -hmm. the next part is just that yeah by the time L. Ron Hubbard's end of life and end of his active reign on Scientology he's in hiding for like from like 1980 up through his last and didn't he use the life. Sea Org to hide so he's yeah, like he's out at sea on, where he can't be yeah he's um, hard to serve papers to he's hard to track down to you know bring in for any kind mm -hmm. of legal proceedings he starts taking his name off of all of the all of the uh filings all of the scientology operations he's not technically mm -hmm. leon hubbard l ron hubbard's technically not associated with that organization like in name at least um and for the next episode keep in mind his communication with all of his uh administration and stuff for the church is limited and one of the main focal like kind of conduits for communication is david miscavige so um, that puts David Miscavige in a really prime, uh, opportunity, but, uh, anyway, yeah, he's in hiding, he's out on the ocean, by this time he's racked up like a hundred billion dollar tax bill of back taxes. Oh my gosh. So it is very much in Scientology's interest to get themselves, uh, into a nonprofit. Uh, and they eventually do. Certification. Yeah. That it's, it's is It's a very strange, yeah. strange that they actually do that. I, I heard, um. I think Mark on that un-American or American, not un-American, sorry, Mark, untold American stories, not un-American. Um, he was saying it's kind of like the opposite of the Catholic Church 
today in that like it's the smallest uh religious organization with the most money yeah, yeah. like they have over three billion dollars in assets yeah. right now and they have less than twenty five thousand members right so it's just yeah, weird it's, it's a weird disparity because according to scientology they're growing leaps and bounds and they're constantly yeah, building new the, buildings nobody really believes those numbers but then yeah it's anybody like those chinese cities they keep building Exactly. Anybody that's not Scientologist says what you just said. So they only got like 20,000 members. Um, one other, you know, we talk about Jack Parsons, Northrop. Uh, we talk about, you know, these weird Operation Snow Whites. And then just as like kind of a little last little caveat is uh, Jolly West's name comes up in this story too. That's true because this is one of the good things that Jolly West That's did right, yeah. is that uh, he uh, was very hard on the Scientologist yeah. and and um, they hated him for it. That's right. Yeah. Um, God, what a weird was, jumble of characters. I was listening to that Ted Koppel interview and about an hour into it, uh, David Miscavige calls out Jolly West and I was like, whoa, did I just hear him say this? Yeah, so that's an uh, an interesting little... And that's because Jolly West uh he specialized in uh hypnosis and MK Ultra stuff but also in cults. Yeah, and yeah. um I think there was another famous there's several famous ones that he went after but obviously it was probably uh 70s like around the church hearing times where he started to go after. Yeah. yeah. It makes you wonder if that and, was an that was done as as a to the kind of throw the attention off of you have these church hearings going on. There's a lot of people talking about MK Ultra this thing, <laughs> and then and then uh, you know you think uh, you know Jolly West is probably looking around going, man, I got to find, I, I, I don't want to get hung up on this MK Ultra. I know I'll go after Scientology, yeah. and then you know they'll be too busy yelling at me about that. It's funny, he uh, yeah, Jolly West joins up with the state board of psychology psychology or psychiatry in Oklahoma mm -hmm. because they tried to kick uh Scientology's drug uh rehab facility out of Oklahoma. So Jolly West, you know, having been here in Norman and killing the elephant, he <laughs> I returns know all a few about years, Oklahoma. Yeah, he returns a few years later and he says, guys, sorry about the elephant, <laughs> but I want to serve on this board so we can keep these kooky Scientologists out. Um, I believe if I read the website correctly, that, uh, that, that Norcom, uh, facility is active in Oklahoma now, but that's the Scientology place. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's uh, a Scientologist, uh, rehab, rehab facility. They don't so call it Scientology rehab. It's called correct. Norcom. Yeah. It's just called Norcom, but yeah, the origin of that is, is Scientology, but, uh, Jolly West fought the good fight on that one to try and keep it out of Oklahoma with the Oklahoma state board of psych psychiatry, which like, what a small world. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. It's almost too, uh, strange to be a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. I thought like, yeah, I bet he was looking for something to yeah. throw people off and just don't start talking about that damn elephant. They start talking <laughs> about, why exactly did you need to give the elephant yeah. LSD? What exactly? Yeah. Don't, don't go there. Shh, shh. Look at L. Ron Hubbard. Do you see the stunts he's pulling? You think I'm weird? You think giving LSD to Elvis? Look what these guys in California right. are doing. That's Have right. you ever been audited? Do you know what that is? Yeah. Okay. Well, man, I'll tell you, some of the, like you were saying earlier, the the audits and uh, the beginning pieces of like, hey, you you can provide your own solutions in a lot of ways, or you know, you can pr you could be more creative, or you can be more successful. Uh, 
that part of it is really appealing, you know? Uh, and that's what a lot of these accounts from Scientologists, like reformed Scientologists. Well, no doubt say. that Scientology, like we said, gave us Tom Cruise. Like it, yeah, right. it fixed a lot of people's lives as yeah. far as people with problems. And um, it did a lot of good things for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, it just, uh, it just went bad or it was always bad or for some people it went bad. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Scientologists would say really positive things about their experience with Scientology. So, yeah. I mean, as long as you kind of like we said, as long as you're not on the wrong side of Tom Cruise, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't, you just don't, it sounds the like side. the way to go is be a public one. You know, like you keep your day job, you keep your family, um, you just go there on the weekends. Yeah. But once they start talking to you about OT3, that's when it starts getting well, dicey. I don't know exactly how it played us into, but I, I know somebody said that if you go into looking at the origin stories of like their origin stories of uh, Scientology, we could get into some of this when we get into the Masons podcast, but um, there's weird, uh, like L. Ron Hubbard, from, probably from his experience with Parsons and Aleister Crowley and he pulls a lot from like the hermetic order of the golden dawn and pulls mm. a lot from the OTO. And there's, there's a lot of, um, to me, it's just weird that they all, these stories all cross and it's all goes back yeah. to Satan. Yeah. <laughs> it goes back to, to these weird, uh, occult beliefs. And they're not like, it, it's just weird that it's not like, well, it's not like they're praying to Pokemon. Like they're, you know what I mean? Like it always goes back to, demons yeah, and fallen angels specific, and very yeah. like like old uh even like egyptian uh myths and stuff mm -hmm. and um yeah it could just be you know conveniently using it to explain your kooky theta you know take on reality yeah. but uh i don't know i just think it's in the same way you can look at a lot of the masonic uh, ideas and teachings and um at first glance, it seems like a good idea, but you know, you get deeper into it and you find the blood trough and you go, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's maybe not. what I was saying or where I lost my point on cults, but that's another kind of like striking point to me is like, it might be a cult if they're not open and transparent with everything that they believe at the outset. You know, like, or they have secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the Catholic yeah. church, like you said, let's say I go to the Catholic church for a few weeks and I say, I decide I want to be a Buddhist. You guys go, okay, no problem. We'll catch you later. Um, or maybe I say, hey, I'm really into this Catholic church thing. I'm going to, I want, is this all of the Bible? Then the answer would be like, yeah, this is all of it. And like, well, even of, they'd, they'd give you the catechism and yeah, they say, but it's not like, know, it's not like I can't get the catechism now. Right? You don't have to pay anything for it. Yeah. yeah, no, that would be a, that would be a point where you have to let, like you have to level up in a cult. Uh, if you yeah, went to the Scientology, yeah, the way you'd say like, well, what's the real deal here? Yeah. Um, in the, like in, in a, a normal religion, like Catholicism, you'd say, well, here's the catechism, just read it. And yeah. that's it. There's no, yeah. Nothing else to secret it, you know? information, yeah. Um, yeah, using secret information about the religion to extract money or, I don't know, use people in some other way. That'd probably be, it'd be a cult if yeah. they don't tell you without uh, taking all your money or something. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you've hit like two or three out of these five bullet points. <laughs> Just saying. 
<laughs> and also probably you're not listening to this because the cult leader wouldn't let you yeah. listen to this. It would be wild if somebody called us one day and said, I left oh, the goodness. Church of Scientology after hearing your podcast. That would be especially wild given the frenetic nature of this conversation because, again, there's I have probably 20 window like tabs open on my computer right now, and that was... I mean, it's been that way for the last three or four days. I've just like <laughs> been like checking other like all these like weird accusations we're throwing around are corroborated on more than one place. It's mm -hmm. not like just one. Oh man, yeah. Next episode, we got to talk about this websites they make to demonize the people that jump yeah. ship on them. Oh, um, shoot, I was gonna say something as you said that. Oh, uh, totally unrelated. Before we sign off. My son's baseball team, eight eight year old baseball team, we had a game last night and we just crushed them in a blowout. It was one of those like you're waiting for the other coaches to get kind of upset at some point that you're like, because I've seen that too, where even if it's like obvious, like it's just one team is way better than the uh -huh. other, nothing personal. But this team was great about they were just super like they got it. They even wanted to play the, to the to the last inning and they wanted to even though it was like eighteen to zero, uh, -huh. uh great sports and uh, the coach came up to me afterwards. His name was Jason. I don't know his last name, but he was like, Dante and the Hawks. Hey. I was like, oh, and he's like, hey, is Dave and Ted still playing with you? And Whoa. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> or it's not a band anymore, but yeah, yeah it was pretty cool. Like, uh, cool. he was a fan back in the day. Wow. Don't know why I just thought of that. Yeah. But Jason appreciates your music. Totally. He did. But no, that's great. Maybe he liked Bird Dogs too. Yeah. So anyway, very good. Uh, thank you everybody for listening uh, to the Conspiracy Dad podcast. We will pick this back up on the next one and talk uh, in part two of uh, Scientology. And until then, you guys uh, take it easy.